So there are people who use binaural beats at the right frequencies, which there's lots of research on this, you can read about it. And, and they believe that that helps them intellectually to stimulate the mind, to stimulate the ability to reason and, and uh, do cognitive stuff. So that, that high contrast music is the stuff you want when you're doing something intellectual. Today's guest is Bill Protzman. Bill is a piano virtuoso who is very interested in the way music works on human beings. From careful observation and engagement with audiences for more than 40 years, and a deep and thorough commitment to understand the most recent research and evidence on the subject, Bill teaches us how each of us can use music functionally to unlock the sweet spot. Bill calls this music care. start. Uh, I, I see a quote here. Between music as entertainment and music therapy is the powerful opportunity to use music as a tool. Yes, it sure is. It sure is. I am intrigued. Uh, I think you've, you've, you're heading in a direction that interests me a lot, and I really, compared to you, know nothing about it. So enlighten me, Bill. Well, you're, are, are you a musician? I am. Help me. Yes. Also. Okay, so that, that gives me a little bit of insight. So uh, we musicians in addition to practicing our music, are basically, you know, at a fundamental level, I think we're practicing behavioral health care, and maybe even bigger than that, maybe physical health care as well. There are so many things that come um, as a result of listening to stuff that we're just now starting to be aware of. And by that, I mean science is starting to begin to research them. Uh, we've been aware of how music has power for a long time, but now science is putting some some metrics on that and can actually tell us, well, this is what happens, you know, and, and that's kind of cool. But as musicians, uh, we've got a leg up because we have been actually working on something like playing an instrument or singing. We've gone further into the uh, practice of this behavioral healthcare modality, <laughs> if you will, mm -hmm. than uh, the, the average bear. So uh, the average bear spends a lot of time listening to sound. We all do. And often finds himself or herself at a concert, or in other cases, if they're more into the therapeutic potential for music, maybe working with a music therapist. So a music therapist is a board certified and in some states licensed, uh, obviously trained and credentialed practitioner of music as a healing therapy. There's psychological training goes into that. Obviously, there's musical training. And that science is growing very quickly. So there's lots of continuing education to make sure that music therapists stay up on top of the latest and greatest in their craft. Uh, the latest science from psychology and from music. Um, neuroscience is a big part of this. It's a very sexy thing, neuroscience these days. Hmm. Neurophysicists chime in. There's, there's lots of work going on with the brain and consciousness and how we can dig into that and learn what's going on there. So... If you are a concert goer, great. If you are a musician, great. If you are into music therapy already, fantastic. So I'm not a music therapist. I'm a piano player. I grew up playing the piano. 
But when I started to recognize that it was helping me in ways that were more than just learning to play the music ways, uh, I got pretty interested in what we could do with that power that's there and how we could learn to use it, use it intelligently, independent of any therapy or going to a concert, uh, actually dig in and use it. So that begins, as you know, when you're deciding what to play for people, that begins with a choice. What am I going to do with this music today? Is it going to lead me down uh, uh, road A or is it going to lead me down road B? And once I start on that journey, how will the journey look as I traverse the, the road and reach my conclusion at the end of the concert or whatever it is? How will I have gotten there? What, what's the roadmap look like? And as musicians, we craft those roadmaps so that the audience, hopefully, so that the audience has a satisfying musical journey right along with us. That's the beginning of music as a tool. And it's, it is a fascinating rabbit hole. It goes really deep, and there's lots of great stuff there. So let me stop for a second and just see what your questions will do to help guide our conversation. Well, normally as a musician, you play for audiences and you don't really select who's out there. Uh, but uh, when, you, yeah. <laughs> when you're working in a therapy situation, you're working with Alzheimer's patients, people struggling with physical or emotional injuries. Uh, and, and I see on here <clears throat> care, caregivers. Now, yeah. here's my story. I'm going to talk about myself right here. I was Good. caregiver for my parents and uh, for about a year, almost to the day. And my dad liked to watch the black and white cowboy movies that you could basically shut the sound off on because it's the same story over and over pretty much. My mom, on yeah, the other hand, yeah. I'd say, well, what do you want to watch on TV? And she would say, the sound of music every day. And I'd put that on. So I know for a fact I've seen it 365 times. But I have yep. probably saw it 50 times before <laughs> that. My dad would roll his eyes because he wanted the cowboy stuff. But during that time, the movie was on with all the music that's on it, and it's a good story. She was just blissful. Uh, her brain wasn't firing on all cylinders most of the time, but that just sparked her up. It was unbelievable. And uh, sure, Dad, you're going to have to watch this because that's when Mom's happy. So uh, I guess I've taken it a step further. As a caregiver, I probably needed therapy after I did that for a year with your parents. I'm telling you, that was way tougher than I thought it was going to be. But, uh, yeah, just from a, a standpoint of uh, knowing that that's th something you can offer somebody as a caregiver. But, yeah, I needed therapy after I was done. So, <laughs> Yes, the, the statistics aren't great. Caregivers generally um, don't live as long as those they're caring for. Uh, <laughs> so I think you've, you've managed well. <laughs> what, I was, you came through. what I was finding out in conversation about two months into it, I was talking to other caregivers just you know what do you do i'm a caregiver oh really and then they asked me well i said currently um you know i've done this i've done that but right now i'm caregiver for my parents and they'd always just stop and say oh i could never do that be a caretaker for my parents <laughs> after a year i, I kind of see why it it's tough yeah. because with immediate family everything's amplified i think true and it's and what you need to recover from that every day is amplified too First of all, you're not alone. There's lots of resources out there for caregivers in all kinds of situations, both professional and sort of practical, supportive. I come down on, on the practical, supportive side, know nothing about medicine or any of that, but I do know that entering into a, um, a sort of a relationship with the music you love, bringing that closer to you during that time can help sustain you physically, mentally, emotionally, even spiritually, as you care for someone who needs your assistance. 
And that's been a, a, a remarkable thing to watch, both with caregivers and those who, are, who need care. And I've had the opportunity to do both. So you're on the right track. And uh, using your music to support you in your caregiving role is an important, probably essential thing for us as musicians. I think we need to do that. It helps balance us out. Is there specific music that is recommended for patients? So music therapy and science both agree that the most powerful music that's out there is the music you love. Mm. The, more you, the more you like a piece of music and appreciate it, the more profound its effects are on you. That's not to say that new music won't have an effect on you, because if you're a musician or even if you're curious, there's so much new music out there. And some of it is just amazingly profound in its content and ability to create transformation. So uh, the stuff we learn basically in our adolescence, yeah. that's the music that sort of sticks with us. And that would be true for our parents and for our kids and uh, for us, of course. So that's the most powerful music. Uh, you can learn to love a piece of music, and sometimes I'll be just grabbed by something, and I have to learn it and you know, put it in my hands so that I can perform it. That becomes then part of the, um, the sort of symphony of songs that are out there that I use. We had a sunny day today. It's one of the first ones of spring up here. Um, I don't know how Yeah, I'm... happy. Is it the equinox today? It is. Is it? Yeah, it's the, what do they call it, vernal equinox, is yeah, that right? Yeah, that's what it would be. I'm feeling all equinoxy now. Thanks for telling me. Oh, sure, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to the Y this morning, and it's sunny, and I put on Penny Lane by the Beatles. Oh, perfect, yeah, right? And that's a song that came out when I was in high school, and yeah. it's sunny, and the song sounds like a sunny day, and we don't get a lot of sunny days up this way, and we're just now coming into the season where you do get some, and it's like... Wow, why do I feel so good? There's no drug that can do this, you know. It's, that's crazy. Yep. And I was thinking about this interview, too. I thought, well, I'll have to address that. There's a certain, I don't know if it's releasing chemicals or, or what's going on, but it, wow, this is the best song ever, you know. Oh, yeah. The, the science on it is neurotransmitters and hormones and all kinds of crazy things go on. Uh, I just use the layman's term, brain chemistry. Yeah. So when music hits you, it's going to have that effect, and you got a great one today. I guess you probably got some dopamine. I mean, we can get into the hormones here, but the idea is that you properly connected your experience of a sunny day with some supportive music that sort of deepens that experience and lets you feel it more fully. And that's the intelligent use of music, isn't it? How do you explain music with words, though? You know, it's like dancing to architecture. It just doesn't mix. <laughs> That's great. Can I keep that? You got it. You can call it your own. Uh, and, and with all res due respect to dancers who love to dance inside of crazy, amazing architecture all the time, <laughs> it's inspirational. Yeah. So um, how do you connect words and music? So words uh, can do two things. They can either fit the musical feeling that exists, or they can contrast with it. And all of us love the blues, right? That's kind of something that's ubiquitous. We know what they are. Mm-hmm. And the, the joke about the blues, you play it backwards, you get your dog back and your trailer back, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the idea behind the blues is often the words will be sad and the music will be up-tempo and happy. And it creates an incredible contrast when you have music like that. Uh, you think of other songs, you know, where the words are one set of emotions and the music is a completely different and contrasting set of emotions. Yeah. And that's on purpose. It's, uh, it, it's an interesting tool. There are of course, songs where the words and the music are completely congruent, and they also work very powerfully. I've been um, 
I don't know why this this is in my mind so much right now, but I have really been struggling to record a good version of Desperado, and I don't sing. So part of the tr- of the challenge there is making the piano melody sound like a voice and express the same kind of emotion that the voice expresses. So you have to be true to the words, otherwise people listening along who know the words will get tripped up. Yeah, It's very difficult. It's hugely exposed. And to make that music well, it's... It's really, really hard. Much easier to make uh, to play a piece of music where the words contrast with the music, because then you can have more fun with it. It's not so important that you get the melody exactly right, that you have the same inflection in the melody that is in the words. So it's a little bit easier to perform music like that than it is to be so exposed with Desperado. When you say Desperado, you know? it's the, the Eagles, Linda Ronstadt. There you go. Yep. Yeah. The Eagles. Yeah. Yep. Linda Ronstadt did it first, I believe, even though the, uh, Glenn Frey. That's and... so cool. Yeah. That was in the day when we used to trade music and it was all okay to, you know, cover somebody else's song, right? Yeah. How many songs did the Beatles cover that were other people's and uh, even made hits out of some songs that didn't make it otherwise? <laughs> yeah, you know? they did. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's a whole, <laughs> that's the downer side of music is the business side and all the yeah. things that come into play on that. And I'm just thinking... All I wanted to do is sing a song for somebody. <laughs> Why exactly. is it so complicated? And then, the, you know, there was a lawyer in the office, and uh, somebody called him up who was at the concert last night. And pretty soon you've got a lawsuit over the melody of Happy Birthday. And it's silly. Oh, oh the Stairway <laughs> to Heaven or something. It's a oh, yeah, minor yeah. chord with a descending bass. Chim Chim Cherie. Is uh, Bert the chimney sweep guy going to sue? <laughs> exactly. That We've used that piece of piece of melodic formation forever how can we use music to improve performance at work oh fantastic question so i've been doing this for so long that i had to sort of unpack my life at one point and decide how music had really helped me there are of course ways you can use music to exercise you can use music for your mood Um, sometimes at work mood is an important thing you have to deal with it and sort of intervene on a negative mood so that you can be back in a place of doing positive stuff But let's take it from the forward-focused, how can music actually improve my concentration or performance or even the delivery of a a presentation at a meeting? So in all of those ways, what music does is sort of gets you on the right page. Um, I like to use a visual so that people can imagine themselves all being on the same page, you know? Mm -hmm. Whether that page is your own study or starting a meeting, music can sort of set your intention, if you will. There's uh, a long time ago, a a guy named Don Campbell did some study. He was a choir director, and he decided that the music of Mozart had a improvement in our IQ versus, say, other music. Well, it's gotten much more sophisticated than that, but there are songs that do help us to think, and uh, as opposed to songs that help us to uh, dance, for example. And some people can think and dance at the same time. That's great. But the kind of music that I'm talking about is music that is more cerebral. You don't feel it, you don't emote quite as much when you're listening to it, but your ability to sort of have clear, calm focus improves. And that music can be different for all of us, but the idea is that for most of it, it is, it, it doesn't have that incredible electronic dance music down drum beat in it. Take that out of music and you remove the adrenaline charge. And adrenaline is useful, but not when you're trying to focus on something that's cerebral. So you want to, um, you want to remove those heavy rhythmic inflections from the music 
and replace them instead with high contrast. Um, contrast is something that's in all music. It's everywhere. When you think about like the, the music for Desperado, Desperado, you're, you're coming, you're doing a little down drop. Ah, mm-hmm. And that is a release as opposed to a contrast, which is going the other way. Ah, 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 ah. So you go up and the tension builds. You come down and the tension releases. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. And it turns out that in classical music, when you evaluate it all mathematically, there's more of those tension and release contrasts per moment than there are in most of other music that exists. Now you can amp that up and you can get to something called binaural beats where instead of being something that you can hear as a melody, the contrast is sounds more like a buzz. And that's a very, very high frequency contrast, has the same effect. So there are people who use binaural beats at the right frequencies, which there's lots of research on this, you can read about it. And, and they believe that that helps them intellectually to stimulate the mind, to stimulate the ability to reason and, and uh, do cognitive stuff. So that, that high contrast music is the stuff you want when you're doing something intellectual. Descri- you with me so far on this? Yeah, describe what that sounds like, though, what you just described. I, here's where words fall short of describing music. Yeah, it's hard. It's to, true. They really do. Yeah. Um, put on Mozart or Vivaldi or any of those um, sort of early classical um, pieces of music, and you'll get a feel for the lightness, and there's a bounce to it. And that kind of thing is very, very good, they say, for us emotionally. And it's also got this incredible um, component of... Uh, not joy, but of uh, reasoning to it. I mean, you just feel like you can think more clearly with that music around. Now, this, of course, is a blanket statement. doesn't apply to everybody, because some people like to think to metal, and that's fine. But uh, that high contrast in the music of Mozart and uh, Brahms has some of that early Brahms. Uh, Haydn has that. It starts to go away in Beethoven, which gets a little darker, uh, but certainly Vivaldi and uh, those kind of folks who were on that, um, I want to say it's like early Renaissance, but after Bach, yeah. Bach is really cerebral, and you can go there, and that's really cool, following five melody lines at once. Of all composers, he just sounds clever to me. For some, it's very logical. It's like, yeah, that had to go there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't it, though? That's a good word. He's just got that massive intellectual ability to create incredible um, interwoven melodies. and uh, I mean, his work is incredible. So there are some people who resonate for that, for thinking. Um, For me, it's more of the... um, the Vivaldi, Haydn, Mozart era that kind of gets it going. Um, the, I worked for a time with a guy who was doing research at UCI. Um, he was in the IT area of neuroscience 
and uh, they decided that that Mozart effect thing was just all you needed was high pitches for that. Birdsong would have the same effect, for example. Hmm. And that's been a lot of years. And clearly, when you're talking about binaural beats now, they get to a level where it sounds like crickets, and uh, like thousands of crickets chirping. Um, it also has a woof, woof, woof kind of uh, on lower frequencies. The the sound of helicopter blades, for example, um, is a binaural beat. So these these um, amazing uh, combinations of sound, the way that they interact, all work on us. And being aware of what you need, if you're at work, concentration or whatever, uh, can help you focus in the music to apply to that situation. Now, with some practice, uh, just like you don't have to think about what notes to play next, with practice, the amazing thing about human systems is that we remember stuff. It goes into us at a molecular level. And once you know the song like Happy Birthday, you don't have to get out the music, for example, and to remember what the notes are and the words and how it all fits together. It becomes a part of you. And if you want to have the effect of Happy Birthday, just remembering even the title to that song can give musicians the entire experience of Happy Birthday in less than a second. All of the stuff that goes along with that, including all of the brain chemistry and sometimes the expressions, you can see your face change remembering things, um, they just unlock in an instant without having to go through the whole thing all the way from beginning to end. Or, uh, you know, the entire uh, Mozart piano concerto that I'm thinking of, all I need to do is get myself started on it, and that's enough to trigger the response, the physiological response that I want. Does it make any sense? It does. From a musician's standpoint, I often wonder what it's like to not be a musician because I don't really remember that point in my life. The very second I could sit at a piano, I was trying to play the melody to Davy Crockett or something, you know. Right. Yes, I know. <laughs> What's it like to not be a musician, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I wish I, I knew that for just a split second. It would probably be depressing. I think life without music would really be a downer. But, yeah, it would. This this ability to um, to understand sound and rhythm in a structured way is something that everybody needs. It you know, and I'm guessing you probably started pretty early, so it helps with cognitive de development and motor skills and just all these things that are part of a kid growing up. Apply music to that, and it just magnifies the whole deal. It's uncharted territory, even beyond music. Sometimes just in a conversation. Uh, I, I don't know anybody very well, somebody very well, I'll ask, what was the first concert you went to? And they, yes. they, they pause for two or three seconds, and they light up every time. They think of, uh, it might have been the Partridge family, it might have been, you know, who knows. And it's, <laughs> but they, it usually ends up in a laugh, because yeah. it's hitting a part of your brain, I guess, that some, even, even indirectly, but it deals with music. It's a... It's a great equalizer uh, in many ways and a great connector, um, as you probably know from playing for people, that you can't make music in a room full of people without an effect. You know, things are going to happen there. And uh, in, in business, for example, I often use music as an introduction to a meeting. And I don't need to play a whole piece of music. Maybe I'll just turn on a drum track or something on my phone and leave it there on the table. <laughs> but that has the physiological effect of getting everybody um, in the same beat. You can't ignore that little clicking sound that's going on there. You may not know what it is, but it helps to entrain you and everybody else in the room around a sort of common thing that you don't understand unless you're, you know, spooled up on this stuff. And once you're spooled up on it, you understand that bringing everybody's heart rhythm into something like alignment um, in a certain way, drawing their focus 
to something that they don't really understand, but they're, they are focusing on because it's there. Uh, these are powerful things to uh, start a meeting with. And oftentimes, if you get more time to play around with people, like with an audience, you can leave them in a completely connected place after the concert that they weren't in before, right? Yeah. If, we've all seen that. If you've been to business concerts, even if you go to the symphony and turn around and a lot of people are asleep, it's okay. They're getting what they need. And there's a, and okay, case in point, I've fallen asleep in the symphony too. But you wake up in such an incredible place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You always know when you see a good show, no matter who it is, or even a good movie, you, you think about it for days, you know? Yeah, it stays with you. It, it stays sticks with you. you. It's fascinating. In layman's terms, you, you talk about the blues. Well, people think they know what that is unless you play it for them. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, that. It, and you understand that pattern is 12-bar blues. And, and you hear that all the time, you know? But they, they wouldn't know it unless you played it for them. Actually, you got this. Actually played the music, I think. That's just me. I don't know. It's been my experience. And then you find out people really do know a lot about it, but you can't really express it in words. Yeah, there, we need a language for this. You know, Bruce, it... We haven't, uh, musicians can talk about it. Oh, you know that, when when you lifted the six, that really made, or, you know, the sharp 13, that really, really yeah. works. Or, I mean, we can get all cerebral about stuff like, what is it, Giant Steps, John Coltrane's incredible use of the circle of fifths in a novel way. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's just theory. What it really comes down to is how do we talk about the effects it's had? How do we, like you were talking about uh, the sun coming out and playing Penny Lane or Sunshine Day, pick any song you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, and thanks for putting the partridges back in my space. <laughs> now it's going to take me a while to get rid of them. I think but, I love uh, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we need a language that we don't yet have to, to be able to um, discuss this with one another. But when it comes to music, I think that that language will contain emotion. And so being very conscious of what music makes us feel which is more than one thing at a time, usually. Um, that's an incredible way of kind of getting out of the binary nature of all of our computers and stuff and saying, oh, yeah, I feel happy and sad at the same moment. How is that possible? And then you can actually have a conversation that's interesting, <laughs> right? Yeah, or even understanding different cultures, because I think music is extremely universal and it transcends oh politics gosh. and geography and everything else, because we all have music and everybody gets it. It's just a matter of how do you express it so everyone can hear it? Maybe the internet internet's the answer for that. I don't know. It's helped us a lot. I, yeah, you know, a, a bit. Again, it's a it's uncharted. And it is. It is. Uh, you made the great point. We've got a lot of uh, we've got a lot of distress in the world, and my mission is to create a wider awareness of how music uh, works in the face of things like distress, depression, and anxiety, but also how it works in forward focused stuff like connecting to do useful things together. And um, one of those useful things. I think that's so prevalent right now is our need to, to sing together. When people sing together, things change. You make music together, things change. And we used to do that much more than we do now. I think I've, of all the Rotary Clubs I've spoken to, for example, only two of them have ever sung, uh, I don't think there's a Rotary song, but have sung anything. And that's amazing to me because we used to do that. You know, every, every Native American knows the power of music. That's just culturally part of what happens. But most of us Westerners, we're, we're kind of missing it. And 
There's so much richness there that crosses so many boundaries that we could be using for good. So, uh, you know, blast it out there. Everybody who's listening, take, get, grab your music player and listen to a, whatever piece of music that you love with somebody else and let's talk about it and see how it's working on us. That's a, 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 a I don't know, a social endeavor maybe that isn't really possible with um, social media. You've got to really get to a one-to-one on that and start to leverage it to make it work. That's my speech. Okay, I'll, I'll jump off my soapbox that, there. That's great. That's a, that's a couple episodes right there. there yeah, there you go. <laughs> you have, I know, at least one book, correct? Yes. Uh, I volunteer with veterans, actually. I got involved because of music. Music is great for post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the San Diego Veterans Coalition, to which I belong, um, had for a while a group called the Spiritual Affinity Group. And it was our job to figure out how we could... Um, combine various different nonprofits and their modalities to address things like moral injury and spiritual health and that was an incredible experience and out of that I got a little book the book is called more than human more than human the value of cultivating spirituality in your organization and I don't mean religion by that what I mean is the human spirit and this, this last realm of where science is leading us through consciousness and all of that now, um, the human spirit is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. And what you bring to that is, in terms of uh, the United States Army, for example, they call it spiritual readiness. If you're not ready to go, um, then your entire team isn't ready to go, because you can only go as fast as the slowest member of the team. So making sure that you have uh, spiritual readiness was the focus of this Army white paper back in the day. is isn't that old, it was back in the early 2000s. And that really got me curious because of course music is a way into your spirituality. Uh, the consciousness, the, the bigger thing about you, whatever it is that you call that, is something that music feeds. So I got curious and wrote a book and it's all about how to change the way that you approach any situation so that it comes more from your human spirit and less from any other thing, let's say. Uh, There are aspects of that that resemble music. This tension and release exists in the spiritual world too, where you can have a practice like enthusiasm that could go either toward good or toward bad, right? So Mm -hmm. the spiritual practice of enthusiasm or compassion or gratitude or any of those other sort of trendy things right now it's all about understanding how to focus the, your human spirit in a direction that has scientifically proven positive results. There's studies on gratitude, believe it or not. So there's a spiritual practice that has great results if you do it right. Um, yeah, gratitude's underrated, I think. <laughs> I think oh, completely. Everybody yeah. day, everybody's day would be better if they were gracious. Completely. And I'll tell you what. If you spark up the science on gratitude and its effects on uh, a human being and measure those effects, I'm, I am just guessing on this, but it's my belief that they will find that the science of practicing gratitude has the same measurable effects as the science of music. Yeah. They act on the same kind of, you know, uh, centers of the brain. I don't really want to put it into brain terms, but um, you can feel really good by showing someone appreciation. And you can feel really good by listening to the right music. 
so there's there's got to be a point where those two things begin to converge and where the the spiritual aspects of who we are uh, begin to mirror the um, emotional and perhaps the mental and physical aspects of who we are as well. Grateful people tend to live longer. Why is that? Right? It's I mean, fascinating. Look at the Dalai Lama. <laughs> yeah. So fascinating. It's, uh, I'm really enthused to hear more about that. So thank you so much. Very, very, oh, you're welcome, Bruce. very intriguing. Isn't it though? It's fun to talk to a musician. Yeah. And I, I try to do that every day when I do these uh, podcast interviews. I get uh, a lot of everything from 19 year old garage band, which I think was really right. a fun time of my life doing that. We were awful, but I didn't care. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, clear on up to rock and roll hall of fame guys and stuff. And this, this is this is the first one like this though, and it, like I said, it, it's always been fascinating, and I've seen it work. I don't know what the heck uh, somebody can be just like in their dying breath, and you can play music, and it lightens everything up. It sparks some magical place. Yeah, it, it really does. It really does. There's plenty of help out there. I mean, point folks to my websites, of course, and you know, you can go and learn all this stuff. It's it's kind of um, it's kind of exciting to be on the leading edge. Yeah, 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 you should be a proud guy. I'm putting links to, to all your stuff, too, on the on the uh, show notes on my website. So. A special thanks to Bill Protzman, and once again, thank you for being on the Better Each Day podcast radio show.